welcome to the LA Soccer Hub Show. My name is Gio Garcia. Today is December 23rd. On a Wednesday, two days before Christmas, a day after LASC had a heartbreaking loss to Tigres. They lost 2-1. to one. Um, it, was, it was an incredible run for LAFC to make it to the final and the teams that the Liga MX teams that they beat just to get there. Um, and here to help me talk about it all, we got LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Kevin, how you doing? Brett, how are you? Thanks for the invite. Yeah. <clears throat> no, thanks for coming on. Uh, um, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year. I don't know if I'll talk to you before the New Year. Um, but yeah, I just want to wish all don't that. Forget, to- don't forget Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa, yeah. Feliz Navidad. I should mention that as well in, in Espanol. Um, but yeah, any big plans for Christmas? Nope. Is, I don't know if you've heard, but there's this pandemic going on. Ah, oh, that pandemic, yes. We're going to have takeout Indian food. How's that? Oh, that's not bad. I had Thai last night, so, you know, that, that'll be fun. So, you know, I, I'm not going to do anything too much. It's just going to go ahead down to my mom's house, celebrate it with the fam. Keep it simple. I still need to buy some gifts. I think everybody might be getting gift cards this year. Yeah. Well, they get to pick what they want. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Right. Keep it keep it nice and simple and sweet. Um, but yeah, um, let's talk about the game. Obviously, uh, like I said, two one loss. It was a heartbreaking loss. Um, but LAFC had a great one. You know, they beat they beat Leon. You know, they beat Leon. We know they beat Cruz Azul in an emotional game with Club America. You know, they beat three three Liga Amekis. Um, back to back to back. And then, you know, they were so close, about 30 minutes away from beating another one. What were your overall thoughts about this game? Well, I, you know, I, I just wonder how it would have been different if they would have had Edward Atuesta. Um, yeah. I thought Blessing uh, brought a lot of energy uh, from the start. Um, but, you know, LAFC kind of ran out of gas. They gave up those two goals in the last 18 minutes. Um, I think the pressing all over the field. Uh, was just too difficult to sustain. It, it wasn't a hot night in Orlando, but there was high humidity. It, humidity was about 85%. Um, I, it just seemed to me like they ran out of gas. And you have to think if a Twesta was there, um, things might have been a little bit different. And, and imagine if they were able to bring that blessing energy off the bench late in the game when everybody was flagging a little bit, if he would you know, been able to come in and, and, and again, bring all that energy and enthusiasm and everything whether that might've made a difference because I think it's felt like LAFC was kind of limping toward the finish line and Bob Bradley was kind of out of moves. He didn't have anyone to bring on. So I wonder if that would have made a difference, but you're right. When you look at a couple of things, first of all, if you go back to, you said they beat Leon, they beat Leon in February. Um, if, if you go back to how they were playing in February, uh, remember they, they were unbeaten in, in MLS competition uh, through their first five games, including MLS's back, they had, uh, played so well against Leon in the second game of that series. Uh, if there hadn't been uh, a, a stoppage in play, if, if the CONCACAF Champions League hadn't taken 308 days to play, if there hadn't been a nine-month pause, I think it might have been different. I, I think LAFC was playing uh, a much different game at the beginning of the season. You know, another thing with the injuries, Bob Bradley only started – his first choice lineup once. He started that in, against Philadelphia in the second MLS game. After that, between Carlos Bella's absence, injuries, the COVID, uh, um, the COVID uh, quarantines for Rossi and, and Brian Rodriguez, um, all that, it, it, it was amazing that LAFC had the year that it had. But if they had been able to play uh, at CONCACAF Champions League back in the spring when they were playing well, it might've been different. And the last thing I want to say about that, I know people are looking at that and saying, well, wait a minute. Um, it was a single eliminations uh, tournament when it went to Orlando, they didn't have to go to, they didn't have to travel to Mexico. 
They didn't have to play in front of those crowds. Yeah, all that is true. But then other teams didn't have to come to L to uh, Bank of California and play in front of the 3252. That is a, a, a pretty imposing environment for visiting teams too. So uh, when you look at the travel and, and the home and away thing, I think that was as much in LAFC's favor as it was against them, which is different for most MLS teams. Most MLS teams do not have that kind of home environment to play in where Mexican teams might be intimidated. Yeah, no, and I would agree. And I think uh, Kenneth Vermeer echoed that as well in his press conference. He said, you know, they well, they got to come back to the back in California. And we saw that, you know, it was effective. Obviously, we saw LAFC beat uh, Leon at home, you know, on the second leg. And just to go back on your point, obviously, you're right. You know, it was a no-brainer. They did miss it twice, especially those last, what, the last 20 minutes when they, when they ran out of gas. And I think the biggest thing for me was, um, you know, the high pressure, the high pressure really worked for LAFC. But to your point, it's hard for a team to sustain that for 90 minutes, especially when you're missing, you know, if not, you know, if not your best midfielder, you know, let's call it what it is, uh, Eduardo Tuesta, you know, to sustain and be able to control, control the game from the midfield. They really missed him. And, you know, and to me, I was really surprised that Bob Bradley in the second half, which how well I thought they were the better team in the second half. They were for the first, what, 20 minutes or, you know, first 15 to 20 minutes whenever Rossi's goal came in, I believe, in the 61st minute. And what surprised me the most was when he took out Jose Cifuentes. I think it was in the 67th minute for uh, for Pancho Ginella. Um, you know, I, I believe uh, Cifuentes was playing a great game. I don't know what Bob Bradley had seen from Ginella, but Ginella was not effective in, 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 in the midfield. And they really lost the midfield as soon as Janela came in. And I'm not putting this all in Janela, but they ran out of gas. And I don't think Janela gave them the, the type of, uh, you know, the type of play that they needed to replace Cifuentes, who was playing really solid, you know, had the big physical body. And you look at the second goal where, where Gignac scored the second goal, um, Janela was trailing. I, I, I don't. I think I was at Chaco Rodriguez. I don't. I don't know who had passed the ball to Gignac, but it was a Tigres player. He pretty much just walked, walked the last couple. You know, didn't didn't give any contact, and you know, lacked effort there. And he was a second, second, uh, second half sub, and because of that play, you know, obviously Tigres scored. But you know, I I just feel like that substitution really hurt. Uh, LAFC because I really felt like Jose Cifuentes is you know is right there right behind you know right behind Eduardo Tuesta maybe tied up there with with Latif Blessing uh, on how to control the midfield and you're right they didn't have anybody else but I think if Jose Cifuentes would have been able to play most of the game or, or the rest of the game the midfield would have been looked a lot different and then once that sub came in and on top of them running out of gas with that high pressure um, you know it really they really lost the midfield and that's where they lost the game. Well, yeah, and, and that's kind of what I was uh, alluding to. Uh, um, I, I don't think Mark Anthony Kay felt all that comfortable in the center of the midfield, which is where a Twesta would have been, and Kay would have been on the wing. Um, so imagine you make that substitution in the second half, and and instead of, uh, um, you know, you have Latif Blessing going in instead. You know, if you're going to take Janela out and you put in Latif Blessing. Now, uh, I'm not saying Latif Blessing necessarily is going to be a guy who is going to um, – you know, score a goal or, or play defense, especially with his size. He's not going to be a, a very imposing defender, but he, he, he's so fast and so active that he harasses the other team. And you talk about, you know, Gignac being sort of unmolested on that shot uh, and, and, and uh, um, Tigre is bringing the ball up the field, you know, uh, almost half the field um, from midfield up into the penalty area to set up Gignac for that shot. 
that doesn't happen if Latif Blessing is is coming off the bench and, and again bringing that energy. So I I think it it hurt in that sense. I, I did like what Apoku brought uh, mm-hmm. when he came on the second half and they moved Vela to center forward and and Apoku really I thought brought uh, you know opened up the game. I thought that's where the game changed. Um, Bob Bradley talked afterwards about how Carlos Vela was harassed and he he was he was fouled repeatedly uh, a lot of rough fouls. But you know what I, I'm surprised that. Bradley didn't have an answer for that because a lot of MLS teams play yep. LAFC yep. that way too. Seattle Sounders. Yeah, the Sounders. Do. I mean, it's this is not the first time we've seen that. And and it happened both with Cruz Azul and Club America. They both went after Carlos. Um, and you would have thought that Bob Bradley would have had some alternatives, like maybe get, you know, Diego Rossi. He scored the goal, but get Diego Rossi more involved. Um, you know, uh, don't make Carlos be the guy that has to do everything on his own because obviously they're paying a lot of attention to him. If, if there are two or three guys chasing Vela around and fouling him repeatedly, that means there's one or two other players open. And I didn't see LAFC get those other players involved. Carlos Vela did not have a shot on goal. He had one shot that was blocked by a defender, but uh, he was not credited with a shot on target. In fact, LAFC, you know, they only had one shot on goal all night, and that was Diego Rossi's goal. And um, maybe lost in, in some of the hoopla and everything about that. Uh, you know, an MLS team has not won this tournament since it went to the new format in 2008. Um, not only have they not won, with Rossi scoring in the 61st minute to give LAFC a one nothing lead, that is the latest that an MLS team has ever led in mm. the finals of this tournament. No MLS team has, has led after the hour mark in this tournament. Um, and so at, at least LA, LAFC has that history. They have the history of being the only MLS team to eliminate three Mexican Liga MX teams in the, a single tournament anywhere. Uh, they did that. To me, it was LAFC. It was a it was a very auspicious debut. This was their first time in the tournament. We know they're going to be back. Uh, I think they gave a good accounting of themselves. Um, Tuca Ferrete said that he thought that they were a very well coached team and a, and, a, and a very good opponent. So I, they'll be back. I know this leaves a sour taste in, in Bob Bradley's mouth right now. And you know, as I said at the beginning, you, you have to kind of go back and wonder how things might have been different without the suspension in play. And if, if LAFC had been play this tournament when when they were really playing well, clicking on all cylinders, still had Bradley Wright Phillips, a lot of things changed for uh, these last three games. Yeah, I, I think if they would have had a twist, uh, we would have saw a different game. I mean, I know just to go all the way back to pre-pandemic, it's a whole different story. But, you know, just to go back on your point with Carlos Vela on him, you know, being fouled and, you know, Essentially, this is not something new, and this is something Liga Amaki's teams do in a season, in a regular season, right? And I wasn't surprised to see that Tigres, you know, every time, like you said, every time Carlos Vela got the ball, two Tigres players were there. And, you know, those, and, Carlos, and just to be fair, Carlos Vela did not have a good game, you know? He had a couple of times, I think it was like in the first half, he he had a, or the second half, I think he had Mahala before Rossi scored that goal. I think he had Mahala and Rossi, uh, you know, uh, open. And I, I forgot what minute it was, but it was early on in the second half and he didn't pass on the ball. And I think he decided to, to chip the keeper instead and it, it didn't work, you know? And I think maybe that the frustration, some of the frustration or him feeling like he had to do everything when I don't think he, he does when you have a Rossi, I think he, he wasn't, um, he, I didn't see him share the ball as much as as as, uh, as you would have liked in those final in the in the, some of those final final third uh, you know when the ball's down there and Tigres is a final third and you know <clears throat> I think the pressure you know also having the high pressure 
is, is a key point. I, I was surprised, to be honest, how uh, how Tigres really struggled with LAFC's high pressure. Um, you know, because of the type of talent they have, you know, Gignac, Quinones and everything. But Tigres really struggled, you know, to play to make, play from the back line with LAFC's high pressure. And I was and I was thinking about this the whole game. I was like, I've kind of seen LAFC, you know, do high play high pressure against all of the other MLS teams. But when that happened, LAFC has always, um, you know, it's hard for a team, not just LAFC, but any team play high pressure and be effective come the last not 20 to 15 minutes. And that's when, when they gassed out and they didn't have, you know, the, the, the right subs or the subs that came in did not if, uh, uh, affect the game outside of Mahala. I feel like Mahala played, played great. He, he came out of halftime for Danny Masuski. Um, Janela didn't really impact the game. And then you had uh, Brian Rodriguez, who I believe came in the 88th uh, as a desperate sub, 88th minute for Jesus Mourinho. So I think I think some of those things that I know Bob Bradley was asked about maybe changing his uh, his coaching style or whatever, you know, he was very upset about that. I think it was, it's more about the high pressure when, you know, it's being effective. But I think once you got the lead, I don't know if it makes sense to keep high pressing a team when you have the lead. I know trying to beat Tigres by 1-0, would be hard, but I think that's when you have some of those subs come in and, and you're able to adjust to the game. Well, you know, you mentioned Atuesta. An interesting thing about Atuesta, he he got hurt uh, in the MLS's back tournament. He came out of the quarterfinal game with Orlando. And when he came out, LAFC was winning. They wound up uh, losing that game on penalty kicks. It finished as a draw. Uh, they gave, If you remember that, when they gave the lead back on the on the corner kick in, the, in stoppage time or in the 90th minute, then they lost that in penalty kicks. So Atuesta comes out, they lose the lead, they wind up losing the game on penalty kicks. Atuesta missed the next five games with injury. LAFC lost four of those five. So um, add in the, the game they lost last night in Champions League, they played six times without Atuesta on the field. They lost five of those games. Three times they were shut out. The two other times, including Tuesday night, they only scored one goal. So you can really see how important Atuesta is in uh, those statistics, you can see how important he is to what they do. And and the thing with Vela, going back to Vela, you know, Vela came in, he had scored five goals in his last three games in CONCACAF Champions League. He had two against Leon, uh, then he had one against Cruz Azul and, and two against Club America. So he was hot, he was feeling confident, loves playing against Mexican teams. But when he's on the field, as opposed to when he was gone with the injury and, and, and he missed MLS's back, you know, I think Diego Ross and some of the other players up front play a little differently. And by that, I mean, there were a couple of occasions uh, in these last couple of games where uh, Diego Rossi made an extra pass trying to find Vela, you know, uh, and I, I think it happened with uh, uh, Danny as well, where, where they look for Vela rather than feeling confident that they can take the shot. The idea is everything got to go, has to go through Carlos. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, Diego Rossi didn't do that. Didn't it, He didn't flinch when Carlos was on the field. He took the shot, and that's why he was the golden boot winner this year. So, you know, by them looking for Vela as opposed to letting other guys shoot, I think it, it made them a little more one-dimensional. And there was a play, I think it might have been in the Club America game, but it was indicative of how they play with Carlos on the field, where Carlos was going to goal, and he had Vela off, he had Rossi wide open just off to his left. Um, Rossi had the better angle. He was in better position. I think it would have been much better if Carlos laid the ball off for Diego. He didn't. He took the shot himself and it was saved. So they, they do play a little bit differently when Carlos is on the field. Obviously, with Carlos scoring, you know, it worked. But there are other times when they would have, might have been smarter to let Rossi or someone else take a shot. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think uh, even last night's game, like I said, he had, you know, Ross and Mahala. Um, you know, they do look towards Carlos. Obviously, he is the leader uh, of this team. Um, and, I, and you know, I think who was it? I think um had Daniel Schwartzman here last weekend or, you know, Saturday, I believe. Um and we talked about he talked about that he's a, he I think he mentioned that he he Rossi plays better with Vela out, out you know with Vela not in the lineup and obviously it looks because Rossi is the, is the main guy to you know take the shots and you know and, and I'm with you they do they do play different and they look more towards Vela um, which makes sense but I think when you when you have when you play a, play a game of this magnitude you know you got to look at all your options you got to look at. Rossi and you know Masovsky you know struggled I thought I know Bob Bradley had mentioned he was coming back from an injury um and it seemed that Masovsky was not was never able to find his rhythm through throughout this uh CCL tournament you know so there was things going on obviously you also have Bradley Wright Phillips who decided to opt out obviously he just signed you know news just broke today that he just signed with Columbus crew we'll get more into that later on but the next topic that I want to talk about is um LAFC defending set pieces and that's been their whole that's been their Achilles heel this whole season and I think you had even the commentators talk about you know how they do this type of zone defending and set pieces and this is how Club America scored a goal against them and then you saw Tigres score their first goal against them in the second I believe in the what was like the 72nd minute um I think it was Carlos Vela was the one closest to the Tigres players who headed the ball inside and every time <clears throat> that I saw Tigres get his corner kick, I was like, oh, man, I always felt like they were going to score because of what we've seen from LAFC and their set piecing, set piece defending. I think that needs to be better. I don't think we've seen that zone defending for LAFC on set pieces doesn't work. I don't know if Bob Bradley and their coaching staff, I think they, they may be very stubborn on that. And that's one of that's one of the things that I, I feel like they need to change because that has not worked at all this year. You need a man mark. You know, you need to find your man a man mark. Zone defending leaves too many gaps if you're not accountable. And we've shown this team time after time after time that zone defending is not what they're good at. Man marking would be a better option for this team. And I hope that's what they do moving forward. And that's one of the questions I want to ask Bob Bradley. The press conference was short. But I want to get your thoughts. What, what, do, you, what do you think about their set piece defend, defending? Well, I, we're talking about that Orlando City game at, uh, at MLS is back uh, a little earlier, the game where Atuesta came out and, and then – uh, former LAFC player Jal Mourinho scored the, the tying goal in the 90th minute off a corner kick. And he said after that game that that they knew or someone at Orlando City said that they had studied tape and they knew uh, where the holes were in, in that man marking. And it was easy for them to exploit. And they, they just kept that in their back pocket until a, a big moment in the game. Um, you know, if Orlando City's figuring it out, I'm sure other teams are too. Um, they are extremely vulnerable on on set pieces. Um, whatever, whether it's the zone marking or, or whether uh, a zone defending or whether, you know, they need to, to change, maybe, maybe, you know, go from one philosophy to another in the middle of the game to sort of keep the, to keep the other team guessing. But yeah, teams have figured it out. They've been extremely vulnerable on set pieces, especially corner kicks this year. Um, and, and I thought the defense played really well uh, until the last, again, 15 minutes or so of, of this tournament, you know, they, they, uh, against Cruz Azul, they did not give up a, a goal from the run of play. I, I think they gave up one uh, against Club America. But, uh, you know, Vermeer played played much better in this tournament than he did during the regular season. And I think a, a big reason for that was the defense in front of him. Um, during the regular season, the MLS regular season, LAFC led the league in goals scored again. But they just gave up a ton. They gave up more goals per game than they had in their first two seasons. Um 
So defense was a problem. Uh, obviously, the break between the MLS playoffs and and uh, the Champions League, they figured something out. They had some time to work on some things. I thought the back line was really solid. But once again, you know, at set pieces. And Mark Anthony Kay, I thought, could have made a play on the ball, uh, the, the header that tied the game. It, it came to the far post. Mark Anthony Kay was there. He appeared to be in position, but he stumbled going for the ball, and it got past him. Um, you know, could they have done something different? Sure. But, you know, in that one, at least they did have a guy in position. He just didn't make the play. Well, I was going to say, well, before that even happened, I think Vela was was the closest guy there and, and the Tigres player was wide open just to just to hand it in, you know, and I'm with you. Kay could have done a better job. But uh, to that point, I feel like Vela or someone else, you know, Vela was a player there. He didn't have a good game. And obviously he did a poor job defending that. And also I want to hit on your point the defending. I mean, shout out to Tristan Blackman. He showed up. I don't, I was not a big believer on him playing right back, but man, this this tournament, he's really he really turned things around. And I, I really do believe in Tristan Blackman playing that right right back. He, he played solid. He, he had a tackle. I think it was like in the first half, thirty yards out. He was running, sprinting, got to the ball before the offensive player. I think it was Aquino uh, from Tigres. He slid slid and got the ball clean. Tristan Blackman really, really leveled up his game in this tournament, and I'm excited for his future. We know what Jesus Mourinho can do, Eddie Segura, Diego Palacio. So I think he was named the, what, the youngest, best youngest player in the tournament. I forgot the word he won last night. Tiki Palacios looks good. I just think, uh, you know, it was just it came down to the midfield on this game and some of those and then the set piece defending, which LAFC, which I, I think they, you know, I think they got to look back at the drawing board and and find a different way to defend. I, I just really don't think zone defending uh, is really going to work for them moving forward, because like you said, to your point, Orlando City knows about it. I feel like other uh, Liga MX found out how LAFC likes to defend on those set pieces and they've become very vulnerable. I want to ask you, there's been a lot of people who have been upset uh, just on social media about Kenneth Vermeer and how he defended that second goal. I've looked at that. I've looked at that second goal. And I mean, even if Vermeer dove, LA, I don't think he was going to get to that ball the way Gignac defended that ball. Give me your thoughts on Vermeer, how he played this tournament and also that defending that, that second goal. Yeah, I don't know that he could have done much. I think a guy like Gignac, he had way too much space. If there's any anyone to be faulted, it's it's the the defense did not collapse on him, and, and that they allowed uh, Tigres to bring the ball up. I mean, that was almost a, uh, as I said earlier, almost from midfield. Um, you know, they were drib- dribble the ball cleanly up uh, and into deep into the LAFCN, and I think that's what we talked about earlier is that the the high pressing they they were get just gassed. Um, you know, the, you, you could see guys were really dragging in that the last 10, 20 minutes. Um, and they just made it too easy for Tigres. I don't know if you can put that one on Vermeer. I, I, but I, I have to say, I never did feel good with Vermeer and goal. I just always felt like something was going to go wrong. Um, during the MLS season, he averaged two goals a game, uh, games that he played in. He did play better in this tournament. I don't think uh, he was an upgrade from Tyler Miller. And I, I think... LAFC spent way too much on him. And again, you know, going back to what we talked about, you know, defense has been a problem all season. I don't think they ever really replaced Walker Zimmerman. I mean, they had players back there who were good, but but Walker Zimmerman was a game-changing defender. That's why he was the defender of the year at Nashville this year. Um, they never replaced Steven Bettesor at right back. Tristan Blackman, you know, they, they tried blessing there, and, and, and he was good, but he's a midfielder. Um, they really wanted Andy Nahar. That was the guy that they thought about when they when they decided not to sign Betasor. That's the guy that um, 
was going to take his place. Andy Nahar, I think, made one start and uh, was injured all year. And, and LAFC has now cut ties with him. And they bring, bring in Marco Farfan, who will take over, it, I think, at that position, or at least battle Christian Blackman for that position. Tristan Blackman got off to a real bad start this, this year, but as you said, he ended it on a high note. I still mm-hmm. think Farfan's probably the guy that's going to replace him. Uh, a lot of strides for that defense in the last month or so, um, but, but that was the problem with uh, with the team all year, and I think the front office made some bad decisions in the offseason, tried to elevate guys who weren't ready to play. Um, I think that's why LAFC finished seventh in the Western Conference this year. You know, LAFC only won two games in the same competition uh, twice this year. They did it in uh, late October. They went two MLS games back-to-back. Well, actually, they did that twice in MLS because there was the postponed game with Colorado. So they they won two games in a row twice in MLS, and then they won two games in a row in CONCACAF Champions League. Um, that's not the LAFC team we know. The team that in, in 2017 and, or 2018 and 2019, they would go on you know, seven, eight, nine game unbeaten or, or win streaks. Um, I just don't think LAFC was consistent this year. The defense was a big part of that. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I just think I'm just going to give a little pushback. I think the MLS season, they, they they did not do a good job, but I think they fixed a lot of those mistakes in CONCACAF. You know, I feel like, you know, like I said, Tristan Blackman, I think we may may see the starting back line moving forward. I know you used, uh, I mentioned the addition of Marco Fafan. He's going to be great whether he battles uh, Diego Palacios or Tristan Blackman for, you know, for the right or left back position. Uh, it's looking more promising. I think just, um, you know, certain, I think uh, the way they lost last night after having the lead, um, it's, you know, it's going to be, like you said, it's going to leave a sour taste in their mouth because they were, they were so close. I mean, they, they had the lead and I think it's also, you know, but also this team should be proud. The fans should be proud of what they've been able to uh, accomplish in these three years. Unfortunately, they leave with no silver, no silver, first place silverware, which is what you want. And, you know, and they, to me, they looked like the better team in the second half up until the, the, the 70th minute up until the, you know, they ran out of gas and, you know, I just want to read Bob Barley's quote after the game. He said, I thought for 70 minutes, we made it tough for them. Um, the, the, the second goal, you could see how we started to get careless and ex- and it was an excellent finish by Gignac. We ended in a real disappointed way uh, and quote. And yeah, that's, that's, that's unfortunate for, for, for them and how they're rooting, you know, cause I, I know all of us, most of us were rooting for LAFC to, you know, to win and, and, you know, get a, get a ticket to the club world cup, which would have been amazing. and would have just took LAFC, you know, on the world stage with the rest of the clubs, Bayern Munich and uh, a couple of the clubs that they have made in the club world cup. But the next thing I think also LAFC and the MLS got a lot of respect um, with the Liga MX teams because of what LAFC has done. Um, let me ask you this. Do you think they've closed they've closed the gap? Obviously, they didn't win. If they would have won, you know, you could. I know people would have made the assumption that uh, MLS is better than Liga MX. But do you think they've they've closed the the gap and earned a lot of respect after this tournament? I think the gap has been closing for a number of years, but the problem is the gap has been closing at the top. I mean, I think they're. I, I definitely think LAFC. Well, they've proven it. LAFC can play with and beat. Um, many of the top teams in Mexico, uh, uh, you know, traditionally Club America has been the sort of the New York Yankees of Liga MX, and and you know we saw LAFC beat them. So, but but it's the top teams. It's the LAFCs. Uh, you know, sometimes the Toronto's, maybe Seattle, although the way they play uh, may not do well against uh, a lot of Mexican teams. But it's the top maybe two, three, four teams in, in MLS that can compete with the Mexican teams. 
once you get past that, uh, I think the depth of the Mexican league is, is much better. So to compare the two leagues, I still think Mexico probably has a pretty huge advantage. Uh, when MLS finally wins this tournament, it'll be a big deal. Um, both coaches went out of their way to, to talk about how this was not a game between Mexico and the U.S. This was a game about Tigres and, and LAFC. And, and yeah, that's true. Um, but, you know, as Don Garber continues to talk about more, uh, playing more tournaments with Mexican teams at Campeones Cup, bringing the Mexican All-Stars down for the All-Star game, the more these teams start to, 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 to work with each other, um, if it's going to be a, a, a relationship based on parity, uh, you know, MLS is going to have to step it up, especially in the middle of the table. I think that's where the real difference is. You said one thing, though, about how uh, LAFC uh, ends the season and maybe there's a poor taste in, in their mouth. Yeah, probably they're going to look at this and say, yeah, there were some missed opportunities and, and we could have won that game and that's going to bother them. But I also think this is a, a kind of a good game to take into the offseason. It's going to be a, probably a pretty short offseason. We don't know when exactly they'll start. I would guess training camp will probably be in February. So it's a somewhat short offseason, but this is a good game to take into the offseason. Here's why. They played really well. In, remember, they had three games in, in, in seven days, eight days uh, in Orlando, and I think they played really well in those games. So, so they'll go into the offseason thinking good about themselves. If they had ended the year with that Seattle game, you know, they were never in that game in the playoffs, uh, and, and they ended the season poorly. If they had taken that in the offseason, I think it would have been a long offseason. I think guys would have been a little bit down. This game, they played really well. They had a chance to win, but they came up just short. And so they're going to go in the offseason believing in themselves, thinking that they're good players, uh, thinking that they can accomplish things, but knowing they have to work just a little bit harder to get over that hump. Um, and so I really think that this is probably the best performance they could have hoped for to go in the offseason. They feel good about themselves, but know that they're not a finished product yet. And so a lot of these guys are going to be working pretty hard in the offseason to get ready for training camp. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think, uh, obviously, like we mentioned, the short history uh, on the game, uh, you know, I, I feel like what they're missing is maturity. And I feel also the the, the killer instinct to, to put to put big clubs like Tigres and, you know, the clubs that they play in, in the MLS to put, put the big clubs away, you know, and have that killer instinct to you. Once you have the lead, don't let them back, get back in the game. And I think, you know, that's some of the maturity that they're, they're going to get. And they're, you know, through all through more games and more playing time, but they showed so much in this, in this CONCACAF Champions League, they've definitely earned all the respect of the Liga Mackey's teams, even Tigres of who they played and how they played against Tigres in the final, because just watching that game, LAFC were the better team for most of it until the last 20 minutes. Now you start to move forward. Um, you, you start to look towards next year, right? And we've already seen one of the moves, the offseason moves that, you know, they didn't pick up Bradley Wright Phillips option. So he was a free agent and he was news broke today um, that he signed with the Columbus crew. What are your thoughts of uh, on LASC not picking up uh, Bradley Wright Phillips' option? Well, I don't know what it cost. I mean, I don't know how much money. I, I do believe, I don't have this from anybody in the front office, but when you look at the moves that LAFC is making, especially the way they're bringing so many young players in, I think they have 11, is it 11 players now under the age of 23? Bringing in a lot of young players who, um, you know, young is generally, not always, because Rossi and Brian Rodriguez are, are uh 
designated players, but young is generally synonymous with cheap. You know, you have players like Christian Torres and I think a Poku is probably uh, not making a ton of money. Um, you know, uh, Duke, Bryce Duke. Um, so a lot of the young players mean lower salaries. I, I do think LAFC has some salary issues. They have some money issues. And so I, I think Bradley Wright Phillips kind of fell into that hole where um, as a veteran, a guy who's been around a long time, probably has a contract, you know, MLS in their contracts, they, 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 for, for veterans, there is a mandatory raise, a percentage raise. So they would have had to play whatever they, they paid, but Bradley Wright Phillips this year, they would have to pay him more than that next year if they had brought him back. So it could have, it, it could have been a, a, probably is a contract issue because I think when you look at what he did on the field um, you know, he's a much better, he's a, he's a good player, a valuable player, a guy, Think about we talked about a twist to think about if Bradley Wright Phillips comes off the bench, yep. um, you know, in the second half and, and has that or even if he, he starts the game, the game. Yeah, I was going to say even if he starts the game for them. And, and he has that physical presence in the middle of the field that that's what opened things up for for Rossi so much of the year is that um, Bradley Wright Phillips was was like a, a a power forward in the NBA and he was clogging up the lane and, and opening it up for guys outside. Um, so I thought he was a very valuable player. I, I don't think LAFC wanted him to go. I think they would have loved to have him in this tournament. Um, it was Bradley Wright Phillips' decision. Once his option was declined, he had the right to opt out of the tournament, which he did. Um, I, the only way I can read that is he's angry um, that he, mm -hmm. his option wasn't picked up. Otherwise, yeah. why would he, you know, why would he abandon his teammates exactly. this late into the season? Or maybe there was an injury problem and he didn't want to, he didn't want to hurt himself and hurt his chances to hook on with another team. But I think all things being equal, if this was a, uh, you know, um, um, a fantasy team where you didn't have to worry about salaries, I think they'd bring him back, but it's not a fantasy team. And they do have to worry about the salary cap. And, and he's a casualty of that. Um, now he goes to the MLS champs and he makes yeah. them a bit better. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was like, if he's good enough for the Columbus crew who won the MLS, MLS, MLS tournament, MLS cup, why is he good enough for the LAFC? And if it is the money issue, one thing that, uh, kind of, you know, I find it kind of odd for LAFC um, being a team from Los Angeles where you have clubs like, you know, teams like the Dodgers, teams like the Lakers, teams like the Clippers um, that are willing to spend the money. Even Galaxy are willing to spend the money. Um, LAFC start, seems to be the, the only team in Los Angeles that doesn't, is not a, willing to spend money uh, on, on players. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, spending crazy money, but I feel like like to my point, if Bradley Wright Phillips is good enough to get picked up by Columbus Crew, who won the MLS Cup tournament, how come he's not good enough for LAFC, even well, if it is money, the money issue, right? Well, I, no, what you have to, it's not the money. I mean, I think they'd give him whatever he wanted. It's they, you have to fit those guys under the salary cap. Um, you know, he's not a DP. So uh, his salary, all of his salary, uh, you know, maybe they could use TAM money or something else, but the majority of his salary has to fit under the salary cap. Um, and there's just not room under the salary cap to fit him in, especially when they look at raises that they might have to pay to other guys. Um, and, and I think Vermeer, Vermeer came in as a, as an allocation money player, meaning he's making over $612,000. Um, that's a guy who I think is eating up a lot of salary cap space, uh, and, and not really proven to be worth it. And I go back, uh, you know, my sense about the, the, the salary cap and ev every team in MLS keeps that information really closely hidden. Uh, most years we get some salary information from the players union that didn't happen this year because of COVID. Uh, you know, a lot of players had to take pay cuts uh, to make the season happen. So 
the salary figures were, were sort of uh, moot uh, this season anyways. But my point was going to be before COVID, when uh, everything was normal, remember right on the eve of the regular season, um, LAFC traded Walker Zimmerman to, to Nashville. The reason they did that is because they, they got more money for a defender than any team in MLS history. They're going to get $1.25 million uh, from Nashville for that trade. And the reason they did it isn't because they thought Walker Zimmerman wasn't a valuable player, and he proved he was. Again, he's MLS Defender of the Year. It's because they needed the money. I think LAFC has money problems, and it's, it has nothing to do with the ownership being willing to spend. I mean, they built the most expensive mm -hmm. stadium in, in in MLS history. They have a beautiful training facility. Uh, they seem to, to be pretty first class, but they have to abide by the salary rules. And Peter Guber, so, so if they go them. over, if they, they're not able, just educate us a little bit, they're not able to go over the, the salary or do they get fined or how does that work? No, they're not able. They have to keep designated players, their salary counts, only percentage counts to the salary cap. For, so for example, uh, I think last year the the maximum budget charge was around six hundred and twelve thousand. Um, so that means everybody um, has to fit under six hundred and twelve thousand dollars. They have to, to to be paid less than that. Now, if you're a designated player, they can pay you sixty million. I mean, they they, they could they could sign Cristiano Ronaldo for sixty million if they wanted, but he's a designated player, so only six hundred thousand count against the salary cap. You can only do that three times. You can have three designated players, then you can use TAM money. So say a guy is making a million dollars, you can pay 400,000 of that down with $400,000 in TAM money, then he's at 600,000. But the salary cap uh, only allows you to do that with a handful of players. Most players are going to make between 100 and 200,000 and the younger players will make uh, much less than that. They'll make about 80,000. So there is some math to it. You, you can't just pay everybody what they want. Like the Dodgers can, the mm -hmm. Dodgers can pay as much as they want. They may have to pay a luxury tax, but again, if you're a well-heeled team, that's not a problem. The problem with the, with LAFC, I don't think is uh, an unwillingness to spend it's that you have to get under the salary cap. And, um, you know, when you can get uh, uh, $1.25 million, much of it in TAM money and stuff from Nashville, that helps you get guys under the salary cap. But that doesn't mean a guy like Bradley Wright Phillips, who, you know, they may be looking at him as a bench player again, is not a guy that you're going to be able to pay a ton of money to to have him sit on the bench when you can use that money somewhere else to get a guy who's going to start for you. It's, yeah, it's, it's really there's confusing. a strategy to it. Yeah, I, I'm, I appreciate you clean that up, but it, it's really, obviously, really confusing, obviously, because they don't release these numbers, so we have to figure it out ourselves, and we got to go off assumption, and obviously, I'm going to go with your, with your knowledge uh, over mine because of your experience. Um, you know, it, it's just unfortunate that we have to put the pieces to the puzzle. Go ahead. Let me talk about that for a second, because you're absolutely right. And this is a big problem. Yeah, it's a, it's a, such, a, such a big issue, but go, but go ahead. Yeah, it, the, the secrecy. Uh, first of all, the, the salary rules are so Byzantine. There's TAM money, which is targeted allocation money. It has to go to a player. There is uh, general allocation money or JAM. That's money that you can sort of use in a bunch of different ways. It doesn't have to be targeted at one player. There are designated players. Those are three uh, a limit of three players on each team that you can pay whatever you want. You can give them as much money as you want. And a, just a small portion counts against uh, the salary cap. Um, then you have uh, homegrown players and you have Generation Adidas players. Those count differently. The, the salary rules are ridiculous. Um, 
And as, you, as we both said, MLS does not release any of that salary information. It really hurts the, the um, um, it, it hurts the openness of the league. Um, fans and journalists and, and, and everyone can't, even the teams don't share information with each other. So uh, LAFC may not know where Seattle is uh, from a budgeting standpoint. So when they're going after, maybe going after the same player, trying to sign the, free, the same free agent, they're going into it blind. They're not really, they really don't know how much Seattle can offer. So how can LAFC make an, an offer of their own if they don't know what they're competing against? But where it really hurts is, is when we go into this period of the year in baseball and we say, oh, the Dodgers need a, a pitcher and uh, here's the guys on the market and here's what they made last year and here's the Dodgers salary situation and are they going to have to pay a luxury tax? You and I can have that conversation and we know all the figures and they're all out there. We don't know anything about MLS. If MLS makes an offer to sign, a, you know, I don't know if they if they go after Matt Beasler and they want to sign him, we don't know where their salary situation is. We don't know what Matt Beasler made last year. We don't know how far under the under the cap they are or if they're over the cap. When they trade Walker Zimmerman, we can guess they did it because they have money issues, but we don't know that. And I think it really hurts um, sort of that 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 rumor mill, the hot stove league like they have in baseball, where you want to talk about. LAFC has money to spend. They should go get a defender. Oh, LAFC doesn't have money to spend. They got to trade somebody. Who should they trade? Who's going to bring the most money back? Mm -hmm. We don't know any of that. And so basically uh, MLS is saying, trust us. We know what we're doing. Uh, That's not good enough. I mean, I think the fans who pay pay their hard-earned money to go see these games and buy these jerseys and and subscribe to YouTube TV – they, they deserve a little bit better than that. And MLS is just not giving it to them. They're just basically saying, trust us. We know what we're doing. We'll let you know when we're done. It would be fun if the fans could play along as, as John Thornton builds his roster and second guess his decisions or praise him for great decisions. We just don't know. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And, you know, if the MLS wants to become, you know, like one of the, the big leagues in, you know, in, in, in America, you know, obviously they want to, you know, want to be one of the top three, you know, alongside NFL and NBA, um, MLB, you know, you got to be transparent just how the other leagues are. And you fans like the NFL, NBA, other leagues in this country like to build a team and like to play the GM role, like to be like, hey, we have this much money left. That lack of transparency, I feel like hurts the league, hurts the teams and also criticizes, also gives assumptions that whether the GMs of LAFC or LA Galaxy or any team in the MLS you know, you you do get criticized when a player like Bradley Wright Phillips, you know, is not available, and when they let go of Walker Zimmerman, and there's there's no transparency to be to to talk about us as journalists, us as reporters, us as fans to be like, okay, this is why they did it, or this is well, like you said, this is why we praise them, or this is why we kind of question some of those decisions. That's what's exciting about sports. That's what's exciting for a fan and to try to build a team. And I think MLS is really missing out on that opportunity, which a lot of fans, even us, we we want to know that information because it helps us really understand how the league is growing, what the league is. Okay, how much is this player making and all these things. That's what you have with the NFL, NBA, MLB. And if you want to be like those leagues and you want to be at that high level, you have to do the same things on those transparency things, especially if you're, you're, you know, you're trying to have interviews like with the coaches during the game and stuff like that. They're kind of like they do like in the MLB and, you know, in the NBA. And that's one of the biggest things where where I feel like they lack the trans, the transparency aspect on that. So I'm with, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And I think that's what. Look what we're, how we got into this conversation. Yep, we're exactly. About, exactly. We're talking about Bradley Wright Phillips. And you said, 
oh, LAFC let him go. That was a stupid decision. LAFC shouldn't have let him go. And I'm saying, no, I think Bradley Wright Phillips left because they didn't want to pay him or they couldn't afford to pay him what he deserves. And so you and I are having this discussion now. Um, was was Bradley Wright Phillips selfish or was LAFC cheap? Yeah, we exactly. Know the that. exactly. We, don't, we don't know the answer to that question. And when you talk about comparing it to other leagues, MLS is great about playing both sides against the middle. They'll say things like, oh, we have to have playoffs because American sports fans are used to playoffs uh, and we have to uh, um, we have to travel across a, a huge continent because U.S. sports fans are used to, you know, continental travel. We have to do these things because the NFL and NBA does it. And they're right. American fans like playoffs and they're used to, you know, th their leagues being structured a certain way. It's not the Premier League. It's similar to the NBA. And that's what fans here are used to. But then when you say something to MLS like, hey, you know, the NFL releases all its salary information or I can go to this website and get every baseball player's salary. How come MLS won't do that? And then they come back and say, well, it doesn't happen in the Premier League. It doesn't happen in the Bundesliga. Well, which is it, MLS? Are you trying to be an American sports league or are you trying to be the Bundesliga? Because you're telling us both things at the same time. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and I, and I wish they were they were transparent, you know, especially because we we are in America, we are in the U.S., and that's what we do in our in our American sports. And if you want to compete with those American sports, you have to be transparent with with player salaries and the decisions because people, players, fans, journalists like to play the GM role and like to understand what the GM decisions are going on, and that is one of the most exciting things. And I think they're really lacking on that. But moving moving on. Um, Obviously, there's there's outside of Bradley Wright Phillips, there's other players that may or may not be with this team coming up this this January transfer window, and obviously one of those players was, was Diego Rossi, who scored uh, for LAFC. Uh, what what are your thoughts on uh, uh, Diego Rossi potentially moving the, this January transfer window? Well, I, I I think for Diego Rossi and his agent, now is the best time. Carlos is going to come back. That means Diego Rossi goes back to being. Uh, you know, the Sundance kid to Vela's Butch Cassidy. He's going to be the second <laughs> banana again. He's going to be the sidekick. He's not going to win the golden boot again. He's not going to be named the league's best young player. He's 22. He's been here three years. He's proven himself. He did get a green card, which is interesting, um, which makes him more valuable uh, than say Brian Rodriguez. And, and I say that because the green card means he doesn't have to use an international roster. Yep. And that's a big deal. But for Diego Rossi, this is this may not be the best time to go because due to COVID, salaries and transfer fees are going to be held down this year, I believe. But he needs to get out of MLS sooner rather than later. He's 22, still young enough to be a prospect. In another year or two, he's going to be a veteran and he's not going to be as, as attractive to European teams. So I think now is the time he goes. But going back to the conversation we just had, it's also a good time for LAFC to let him go because they again need money and they will get, they will get salary relief and open up a DP spot. When he goes, they will get some of the transfer fee, not all of it. A lot of it goes to the league, but they will get some of that money. They will recoup some of that money that to be able to spend on other players. They have a lot of young guys coming up. Uh, Opoku, uh, I think was brought in probably uh, with the idea that Diego Rossi might not be here much longer. Uh, Christian Torres. Yes. I know he's only 16, but at some point they think that he's going to be a valuable player. So I think LAFC has some cover if Rossi goes, certainly not anyone of Rossi's caliber can step in, but these guys are good players. Um, and, and I, and again, I think for Rossi, Carlos Vela has been re-signed. Um, he's coming back. 
um, we anticipate that he would have a full season. And that means Rossi goes back to being the, the you know, the sidekick again. It'd be a good time for him to get out. And I think LAFC could really use the money. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it makes sense, just especially with all the awards. He won, you know, two Golden Boot uh, winners this year and, you know, just the way he's played. And, you know, if, if teams are knocking at the door, I think this is the time that you go and strike. I think right now transfer market has about close to $20 million or, you know, $20 million, whatever. I know that's just transfer market, you know. But at the end of the day, whatever teams want to pay, that's that's what the player's values end up going to be. Um, and I, th- I think this is – I'm with you. I think it is the right time, you know, <coughs> especially especially with all the noise they made, especially in CONCACAF. And, you know, what he did – he also did throughout the season without Carlos Vela. Um, and and if LASC do get a, a, an offer, I think I think they they will. And then the I believe the January transfer window opens on January fifth. Another player I want to talk to you about uh, is Brian Rodriguez. I, and I think to me, um, I I always felt that Brian Rodriguez has 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 talent. I always felt you know that he that people do really like his talent, especially in Uruguay. But I've also felt that he, he he's never impacted a game and they've won a game uh, because of Brian Rodriguez. And I also felt that LAFC would be okay if Brian Rodriguez was, you know, did not play certain games. And we saw that in this, in this uh, CONCACAF, you know, tournament, you know, Brian Rodriguez didn't start a single game. He came off the bench and yesterday in the, in LAFC's biggest game in, uh, in their short history, he only, he came in the 80th minute. Granted, he is coming back from COVID. Granted, there's a lot of things, you know, he may not be at hundred percent, but everything that I've that I, I that you know that had doubts and concerns kind of proved to me in this tournament that LAFC would be okay if they didn't have Brian Rodriguez. Now I ask you, you his 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 we know his agent has been very vocal to trying to get him out there. I don't know how big the market really is for Brian Rodriguez. I know a lot of a lot of European teams know what Uruguay is and the type of talent the national team has. But if you look at, at, at his club stats, his club what the LAFC and what he's done, it, it does not look as exciting, but he's still young. Do you think Brian Rodriguez moves this, this January transfer window? Uh, no, I don't. I, and I don't think his agent would be wise to do that in, unless he, you know, got a, a, an offer that really, you know, blew his socks off. He's an interesting guy. I know the LAFC fans are really down on him. And I do think that he's been a disappointment, you know, generally, I don't think he's brought what, uh, what everyone thought that he would bring. He did lead the team in assists this year. He was a, uh, you know, a valuable player during the middle of the season. But when when Carlos Bella came back, he was the guy that went to the bench. Before that, if you remember when they started the season, again, I talked about they had their first, first choice lineup just one time, and that was the Philadelphia game in March. Brian Rodriguez was was the center forward uh, in that lineup, and, and Moose was not playing at all then. At the end of the season, I think Brian lost his job to Danny, um, and then when Vela came back, you know, there was no place on the wing for him to go. So he went to the bench. That's not a good look for a designated player, um, you know, to be on the bench, as you mentioned, in the biggest games of the year. Um, he, he, he just didn't have a position to play. Danny was playing so well, and Bradley Wright Phillips before that, um, that when Vela came back, there was no place for him to go. Now we've talked about if Diego Rossi goes, all of a sudden I think Brian Rodriguez is a, is a starter, and then he gets a chance to prove himself. Um, I don't, as you said, with this club team, he hasn't shown enough to really be worth – a big money European transfer. Now, having said all that, you you were right to point out what he's done for the national team. He's he played in the in two World Cup qualifiers for Uruguay. Diego Rossi did not play. He didn't get off the bench in any of those games. Ryan Rodriguez did. So uh, maybe that's where some European scouts saw him 
liked what they saw and maybe made him uh, more of a target. But certainly he hasn't impressed uh, Bob Bradley to the point where he gives him any playing time. And I think scouts need to take that into account, too. You're looking at Uruguay, a, a, you know, coach has him in camp for a week and puts him in a game. That's great. Bob Bradley has him every day of the year for 10 months at a time um, and doesn't see what enough to, to put him in the starting lineup. I think that has to count a lot, too. Uh, you know, Bob Bradley is not just an MLS coach. This is a guy who's coached the U.S. national team. He's coached Swansea City. He's coached the Egyptian national team. He's coached the Norway. I, I think maybe uh, international teams will put a little bit more stock into Bob Bradley's decisions than they might just a, a, a regular MLS coach. So I, I just don't think Brian Rodriguez is going to get the kind of offers that he wants right now. I think he'd be wise to come back and, and play another season with Vela. I mean, it, you know, he, as I said, he led the team with assists in assists this year and Vela wasn't on the field much. If he plays a full season with Vela, how many assists could he wind up? Could he have an 18, 20 assist season? Probably that would make him much more valuable. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and I, and also, I think I think uh, I had this conversation with Alish Rodriguez. I, I always I, I feel very strongly that Rossi's going to leave before Brian Rodriguez, and I feel like because a lot of, you know, a lot of teams in Europe are really, uh, I mean, a lot of leagues in Europe and are really paying attention. You know, obviously news broke the other day that you know Juventus was looking to target Julian Araujo, um, you know, some of the young talent, and you know we we've, we've also heard that you know. Uh, Brian Rodriguez agent has been shopping them to Italian clubs, but I just don't think if they're paying attention to MLS and they're paying attention to what's going on here, Brian Rodriguez's value is, 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 is depleted slowly and slowly. Now he's able, like I'm with you, if he comes back next season um, and if he, and if he wants to stay here and if he wants to play with LAC, because I don't, I don't know how motivated he is to, to want to come back. If his agent's really shopping him, you also got to feel that, uh, that Brian Rodriguez feels the same way and he wants to go to Europe. He wants to go to his next step, but he hasn't proven that he deserves that, even though his agent's pushing for that. I also kind of wonder if he does come back, how motivated he is or, you know, or LAFC are going to just waste another DP spot on him. If he doesn't play and he comes off the bench, you're, you're just wasting another DP spot. You know, and say Diego Rossi goes, he stays. You still got to replace Diego Rossi. You have a DP spot available. They bring in maybe someone younger, maybe someone more experienced. I think depending what happens with Rossi, we'll, we'll start to see how Diego, how, excuse me, how, what happens with Brian Rodriguez as well. Because I think there's a lot of things going on there. Well, there's another guy, Edward Atuesta. I mean, why, yep, why Edward is he a guy that might go to Europe? I think if LAFC gets another DP spot, they use it on a on a midfielder, frankly. Uh, I think they're, they're feeling pretty good about how they are up front. And, and really, Carlos Vela does, as we've seen in his return, he does suck a lot of the air out of the room. You know, he really becomes the target. And a guy who considers himself to be a big-time striker is probably not going to want to come in and play with Carlos Vela, I wouldn't think, because th there's only so many go goals to go around. I would think if Diego Rossi left and, and Brian Rodriguez wound up with the starting spot, I I, I don't know. I, I disagree. I think he may. Yeah, I think he might soak a little bit. Why wasn't it me? But I, I think that's a conversation that could be had to say to him, look, this guy just got this $20 million uh, offer from from Roma and that could be you. You're the guy starting ahead of him and or playing ahead of him on the Uruguayan national team. Come on back play with Vela. You got a starting spot now, get a bunch of assists. You're a, a couple of years younger than Rossi, you know, your turn, just wait your turn. This is good for you. You playing it with Vela up front, you know, you're going to be the guy feeding, you're going to be the point guard feeding him. And, and this is all good for you. Um, I, I think that would be a motivating 
factor for uh, Brian Rodriguez and could be used to help fire him up a little bit. You mentioned Araujo, I just, before we get away from that, I've spoken to his agent. Um, the rumors with Juventus right now, he said they're just rumors. He doesn't believe an offer has been made and he doesn't think an offer will be made. Um, he's happy that that Julian's in the conversation, but doesn't see anything happening this year. And I would agree with that, especially now that Ralph Felcher today left the Galaxy. Um, he was the, uh, Julian Araujo's backup at right back. I think Julian Araujo um, will be the, uh, will go back to right back, come back from the wing and play at right back. And now that Ralph Felcher's gone, the Galaxy have no backup. So if the Galaxy were considering letting him go, I think his price tag just went up since they have no one else to play that position. I, I think Julian Araujo will be here next year with the, with the Galaxy. I think that's good for him too. I know a lot of people have been saying he's ready to go for, to Europe. He's still a teenager. He's had some real issues with discipline on the field this year. And by that, I mean a lot of cards, a lot of uh, when he, you know, when someone beats him, he grabs it. He just instinctively grabs their jersey and winds up with a red card to a couple of uh, yellow card, a couple of red cards this year. Um, I don't think anyone's going to spend a lot of money to bring him to Syria uh, and then have him have him get suspended every other week because of red cards. I think he has to prove that he's able to handle that that frustration uh, on the field before anyone's going to give him a lot of money. Yeah, no, and I'm with you. And I think also the name that's being mentioned with Juventus, just to close that out, is Brian Reynolds uh, is being linked uh, with Juventus. But nevertheless, it's always exciting when you have a team of Juventus caliber looking at, at a player. But I'm with you. I think Julian Araujo needs a little bit more time because of what we've seen uh, on him his last couple of games. Um, but just to finish off here with um, just, just LAFC, um, you know, even though they came up short, even though they lost in the final, even though, you know, maybe Carlos Vela did not have his best game, even though they gave up the good the, the lead and they lost the way they did, this is still the only th- the third year and they've done a lot. You want them, if you're a fan, if you, you want them to win. That's that's what it is, right? You want them to win, but they're not there yet and they are going to get there. And, you know, unfortunate thing, they're not going to be in the next year's uh, CCL. They're not going to represent. You'd be one of the teams that represent uh, MLS, but they will be back. Maybe the year after that is when they'll be back. But you know, you do have, like we said, with that, they have a lot of young talent. Mahala is a player I'm very excited to see next season. Danny Masewski, even though you know he 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 wasn't able to be as impactful. You know, Christian Torres, 16 years old. Give that kid another one or two years old. He'd be maybe the next Diego Rossi, maybe the next Carlos Vela. That's the type of potential that these kids have. You know, like I said, Tristan Blackman, he 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 grew these these last 10 days. Diego Palacios, I always felt like Chiki Palacios was always had that talent he, he really proved it you know Jesus Mourinho and Eddie Segura it's gonna it looks like a, it's gonna be the the center backs Jose Sinfuentes man he, he is looking solid I really wish he would have he would have been able to play a lot more Latif Blessing he, he gets he still gets to show you know the type of the x factor is and the type of player he is to impact the game I think the final the final pieces for it, Bob Bradley and LAFC is being is being able to finish off teams and finally be able to get over the hump. And I think they will. I don't know when that will happen, but I think they will. And they have the young talent to do that. Well, and you know what? All those players you just mentioned, the oldest one of the bunch was Eddie Segura, and he's only 23. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I know, like I said, I know a lot of fans are not feeling well right now after that defeat. But, I mean, the future is bright, not just for LAFC, but for, for the MLS. I mean, this what LAFC has done has proven, has proven. And now Liga MX 
they weren't already threatened or if they weren't already, you know, somehow felt pressured. Now, now they really do feel the pressure that MLS is right there, especially like you mentioned the top teams. And the next time LAFC faces uh, a Cruz Azul or America or whoever they face in Liga MX, there, there, there's going to be some type of fear. I know Miguel Herrera, you know, he had mentioned he dropped a quote, but he got fired. I don't know right after the game. Maybe not just because of the LAFC game, but because of his antics. But there is some fear now that LAFC have being an MLS team when they play Liga Americas teams. Yeah, uh, I, I think, like I said, I think it was a good debut for them. I, I think it was a kind of a, you know, the first time through. It's always difficult. They know what to expect now. And, and they definitely got a lot of people's attention. Yeah, they did. Um, just to finish off here, no news uh, as of yet with uh, uh, LA Galaxy. I think uh, Greg Vanny is the leading candidate from what I saw from uh, Katja Castorena tweeted that out. Um, do you, when do you expect the news, if it is Greg Vanny, to be out for the LA Galaxy? Well, here's what we know for sure. Greg Vanny is the guy. Um, they're negotiating a contract now. Um, it's in a stage now where they're just crossing the T's and dotting the I's, meaning they are dealing with some uh, some small details the heavy lifting's been done vanny is going to be in charge of scouting too if he comes to the galaxy um and that's one thing that he insisted on so uh, vanny's the guy um Dom, dominic Kinnear apparently is the runner up again uh if something falls apart and we know this when Caleb porter uh was the candidate um two years ago at this time of year well it was actually earlier in december he was at college cup competition actually talking about how he intended to to play with the galaxy and, and the roster he was going to have and what he wanted to do. And I say that to sit to, to tell you that um, that deal was done too, very much like the Vanny deal. They were just working on small details and then that one blew up. So until Vanny signs the contract, we can't say for sure that he's the guy we know right now that, that, that that's what both sides are thinking, but the contract's not signed. Now you ask about timing um, where it's December 23rd today. Um, the galaxy love to make big productions out of, uh, things like this so they're not going to hold a press conference on new year's on christmas eve so if it doesn't get done later today which looks unlikely um i, I think it happens after the first of the year it's announced after the first of the year because they, they're going to want to have a big press conference and they're not going to do that during the holidays um i do know that when uh guillermo signed a couple of years ago um i was actually covering a rams game in phoenix when i found out about it and i went to the galaxy and they confirmed that Guillermo had been signed. It was right around Christmas. It was still in the holiday season. They confirmed that Guillermo had been signed, but said there'd be no official announcement until after the first of the year. So this timing is something that is not unusual for them. They'll sign, they'll get the deal done during the holidays and then just wait until after the holidays to announce it. The same is going to happen with Jorge Villafana. Uh, his contract is, is done. It's waiting, apparently waiting for MLS approval, but you won't hear uh, about Jorge Villafaña signing until after the first year either because the Galaxy are going to want to make a pretty big deal out of that. Yeah, and all that definitely definitely makes sense to start the new year off right with the new head coach. So, Kevin, thank you for being on and let the people know where they can follow you, the people that already don't follow you. Yeah, they can go to latimes.com or uh, I'm on Twitter at kbaxter11. Guys, if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to give this a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify, wherever you get your music. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Gio Garcia LA. And make sure to check us out on LA Soccer Hub for all your social media posts, breaking news, live updates, and also this podcast. For Kevin, this is Gio. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye, everybody.